We're back this Friday with a new episode of the Liberty Update, and today we will be touching on the White House correspondent who compared Trump and January 6th to Osama bin Laden and 9-11. We also have some other exciting news to cover, including Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, who gave his full support to Convention of States this week during an interview with Mark Levin. Other hot-button topics we'll be covering include Senator Kennedy's heated debate about parental rights and banned books, and a victory for free speech as the Biden administration loses an online censorship lawsuit. As a reminder, topics covered on the Liberty Update can be found at conventionofstates.com news, where you can also find other articles on the latest developments from Convention of States. This week we remembered 9-11, the anniversary of the terrorist attacks, and it's extremely important that we continue to do that, that we remember that history. I argued earlier this week that we should remember, yes, the evils that were perpetrated against us, but also the unity and the coming together that we experienced as a nation and how with faith in God and patriotism and bipartisan support for each other, we navigated that dark time. And it's important to remember that the unity that we felt unfortunately Many are distorting and corrupting the memory of 9-11 to make extremely ridiculous political claims, including comparisons between 9-11 and January 6th and former President Donald Trump and Osama bin Laden. I am not exaggerating. According to a White House correspondent for HuffPost this week, former President Donald Trump is worse than the late mass murder Osama bin Laden and January 6th was worse than 9-11. 22 years ago this morning, a foreign terrorist murdered nearly 3,000 Americans, the journalist tweeted on Monday, but he could not come close to ending or even hurting our democracy. That attack arrived 19 years, three months and 26 days later, he said, referring to the January 6, 2021 attack on the US Capitol. Last year, an FBI agent made a similar statement, arguing that, quote, when you look at something that is an attack on democracy that could actually bring about a fundamental change to American governance as we understand it, 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6, end quote. Additionally, he pushed, this is an FBI agent, who pushed for the federal government to be, quote, on the same war footing that we were in the weeks and months and years after 9-11 in cracking down on the Americans who participated in that riot. Comparing January 6th in any way to 9-11 is inane and offensive. It ought to infuriate even those who denounce Trump and his supporters because it's nothing more than a thinly veiled call for political persecution. The very fact that an FBI agent publicly uttered the words 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th is outrageous and shameful. And again, you can say this as someone who wholeheartedly condemns January 6th and what Trump supporters did on that day. But the fact that an FBI agent called for the government to treat MAGA protesters no differently than murderous Al-Qaeda terrorists is terrifying. Whether you think the January 6th riots were an attack on democracy or not, we must ask ourselves, 
Who is the real threat to democracy? Flag-waving, irate Americans furious at their government or a government furious at its citizens? As Americans, we should all be concerned about a weaponized federal government no matter who it goes after and pursue peaceful solutions to restore a just balance of power. We very well may find ourselves oppressed under an authoritarian system that silences dissent and treats its own citizens, or subjects rather, like terrorists. That's what's on the line, and that's why we need Convention of States. Well, in less than one week, California Representative Nancy Pelosi has revealed her intent to run for a 20th term, while California Representative Kevin McCarthy has given his full support to Convention of States as a way to implement term limits and government restraints. It's a golden state debate. McCarthy launched a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden on Tuesday for allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. The issues go back to Biden's business dealings with his son, Hunter Biden, including bank records showing that $20 million was directed to the Biden family and associates through various companies. Biden also used his official office to coordinate with his son's business partners about Hunter's role in Burisma with the Ukrainian energy company. Not to mention, Biden lied to the American people regarding his own knowledge about his family's foreign business deals. When Speaker McCarthy and Mark Levin were discussing the next steps in the impeachment inquiry process, Levin mentioned that some House Republicans are upset over the fact that term limits and a balanced budget amendment have never been brought to the floor for consideration. But Levin, as a Convention of States supporter, said there's no way Congress will ever vote to restrict itself, which is why the Convention of States movement is the one true solution. McCarthy said he 100% supports the Convention of States movement and agreed with Levin that the second method of amending the Constitution through the states is the only way to get it done. Listen to these clips from their conversation. Convention of States, this is the only way to achieve this. Yeah, with Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. Gives the Article 5. The do, you, do you support that? Convention of States. I support it. I support it 100%. Especially, look, at states... We have shown in this country how states, conservative states, it's how to run them, how to have the freedom instead of being forced all these others. And the argument that Matt says that I haven't brought him up yet, the one thing I want to do as speaker is bottom up. I let the committee, the members do their work. It hasn't come out of committee yet. So why can I bring it to the floor? I want to tell members what they have to do or let members have the input. Is one of the reasons it hasn't come out of committee yet is because it's going to go nowhere and it's a showman vote. And if you really support term limits and balanced budget, you want to amend the Constitution, you're not going to get it through Congress. It has to be Article 5, the second method of amending the Constitution, correct? Correct. It only takes 34 states to call the convention and 38 to ratify any amendments that are proposed. The only way to shrink the federal government back to its intended size and power is through the states. And Levin, of course, understands this reality as a longtime supporter of the movement. Well, today is Article 5 Day. We're celebrating 236 years since George Mason stood up in the Constitutional Convention and said, we need to amend our process for amending the Constitution 
We've left it only to the federal government. We need to give the states that power too. He proposed the idea of an Article 5 convention. It was supported unanimously by the framers. And now, 236 years later, we're closer than ever before to actually fulfilling George Mason's vision. But as we reflect back on all that has happened in the centuries of American history since then, it's sometimes remarkable to consider what the founders would think if they could see us now. They could see the country now. What would someone like George Mason think to hear someone in the US Capitol suggest that parents have no right or very little right to determine whether or not their children see pornographic content in public schools? This week, Senator John Kennedy bashed the Secretary of State of Illinois in a heated Senate Judiciary hearing on a recent quote-unquote anti-book ban law, criticizing his refusal to answer what role parents should play in determining what books are allowed in the hands of students. Quoting sexually explicit passages, in fact, Newsweek called them pornographic, from All Boys Aren't Blue and Gender Queer, two of the most controversial LGBTQ plus books in our schools today, Senator Kennedy asked in a Senate hearing this week whether only librarians should decide whether the two books that I just referenced should be available to kids. When witnesses refused to answer the question straightforwardly, a heated debate ensued. Let's listen in on a little bit of that. We're not advocating for kids to read porn to Senator Booker's what point. What are you advocating for? We are advocating for parents, random parents, not to have the ability under the guise of keeping kids safe to try and challenge the world view of every single manner on these issues. You're getting conceptual game. I'm what not are, getting conceptual. Well, I'm yes, saying that you are. Yes, you are. Because you, you, I want to know what you're recommending. It sounds to me like what some of you are saying the librarians should decide who gets to see that book. All Boys Aren't Blue, the scene you mentioned, is about sexual abuse. I know what it's about. It's not What erotic. would you do in terms of making the books available? Would you say anybody can see them, or they have to be in a special session? Students who do not read books like All Boys Aren't Blue cannot learn what is appropriate. I understand that. They cannot learn about I understand, but none of you abuse. want to answer my question. You come here and you say censorship is bad, and of course it's bad. But the obvious response is, okay, you heard the books we're talking about. Okay, we're not talking about Catcher in the Rye. So tell me what you want, who gets to decide. And all I've heard is the librarians. And parents have nothing to do with it. And if that's your response, what planet did you just parachute in from? Ultimately, this serves as a call to action for parents to stand up to politicians who seek to undermine their rights. Don't fall for the insidious semantics. Regardless of what they say, they aren't anti-book bans. They're anti-parental rights and pro-porn in schools. That's what they're fighting for, to keep this content in your schools within reach of your children. And they're fighting against your right as a parent to say no to that. This is one of the most important debates in America right now, and it goes to show how little respect the federal government has for individual liberties, including the liberties of parents to protect their kids. 
In a troublesome yet groundbreaking ruling for free speech, a court of appeals ruled that federal officials likely coerced social media platforms to censor specific content online during the COVID emergency. During the government-mandated lockdowns, Americans witnessed intense control of messaging online, with many experiencing censorship firsthand. Through social media platforms, the government sought to control the information that was permissible to the public. And in the case Missouri versus Biden, the case alleged that the executive branch pressured social media platforms with intimidating messages and threats regarding acceptable content. In the ruling, the court wrote, quote, In sum, we find that the White House officials, in conjunction with the Surgeon General's office, coerced and significantly encouraged the platforms to moderate content. Federal officials not only issued direct threats, but also leveraged the power of the president's office. Their inflammatory accusations, including charges of poisoning the public and killing people, were accompanied by calls for the platforms to assume greater responsibility and take immediate action. The FBI went beyond other agencies. Not only did the agency moderate content and moderation policies, but it also urged platforms to take down content. So while many Americans felt that their viewpoints were being censored and silenced by social media platforms, it's now been revealed that the government was in fact at the lead of the censorship. The decision reinforces the importance of protecting Americans' fundamental rights in the digital age, but it also brings about legitimate suspicions as we head into the 2024 presidential election. Will the current administration abide by this ruling or will it continue to work with social media platforms to enhance its own desired narrative? News in the digital age is easy to come by, but hard to trust when it's likely been altered for political purposes. This ruling is a victory for our rights as Americans, but it's not the end of invasions on the First Amendment. The people must rein in the federal government permanently so these misuses of authority can't continue. Well, thank you guys for joining us for another episode and happy Article 5 Day. We can only imagine what George Mason would think to see us now 236 years later fulfilling his dream fulfilling his vision for liberty in America. We stand in the shadow of George Mason and the shadow of the founders. We're finishing their work. We're making a more perfect union, and we are so honored to do that alongside you and the grassroots in all 50 states. Thank you guys so much for all you do. Remember to like and subscribe to this podcast, share it around, and we'll see you next week for a brand new episode of the Liberty Update with Jake and Bree.